It's all part of the plan. DC Talk right here on Get Into Geek. My name is Mitch. This is episode 11. We're talking all things DC on the big and little screens. And as has become the regular talking DC talk here on uh, Get Into Geek, it's been a couple of weeks since our last episode. But the boys over on Making It So, Get Into Geek's brand new Star Trek-focused podcast, have been taking over the channel. Maddie and Craig are breaking down every week's brand new episode of Picard Season 3, talking all things Star Trek news as well. There are five episodes of Picard out. Our boys are dropping an episode hours after the show premieres on Paramount+. Plus. If you're into Star Trek, if you're into Picard, go check them out. Making it so, a Star Trek podcast right here on Get Into Geek's podcast channel. If you're listening to me right now, you've got access to listen to our brand new Star Trek podcast. So jump on now and have a listen to the boys break down those episodes in real Trek detail. And I say that as someone who has no idea about Trek, but I trust they're doing the right thing. We're here to talk DC. And over the last week, James Gunn finally confirmed what we all suspected, what we all thought we knew, that he is directing the brand new Superman film, Superman Legacy, due for release in 2025. We've been waiting for it since he announced that he was writing it at the end of 2022. A couple of weeks ago, obviously, the big drop of the first chapter of DC Universe content. He described it as... As the official kickoff of Chapter 1, there will be some other items in the slate that will appear and screen and premiere before it, but Superman Legacy will be the official kickoff of the new DC Universe Chapter 1. So everyone expected James Gunn's going to direct it. He's a writer, he's a director, he's written the film, why wouldn't he direct it? Now, it's probably unfair to assume that, of course, he's going to do it. He's the head of DC Studios. He's already putting together this entire slate over the next 10 years, trying to regrow the, the love for DC live action content whether it be small or big screen like we always keep saying it's contentious it's divisive to say the least but they're hitting the reset button and we'll talk more about Shazam uh, as the podcast goes on but he is hitting the reset button so we need to do this properly he needs to put all of his focus in the right areas but no he come out and said that he's directing it and he did so via his Twitter account, which is, if you are interested at all in the DC stuff, which, I mean, God, if you're listening to me talk about it, you're interested in it really, really deeply, let's be honest, go and follow James Gunn on Twitter if you are not already, because he goes into a lot of detail, he answers a lot of questions, and what I really liked about the details shared within this Superman legacy reveal, I won't read it all because it is quite lengthy there's five or six tweets to this thread but did go into a real personal connection with uh, the Superman character and the fact that his brother pointed out that the July 11, 2025 release date they've earmarked for Superman Legacy is actually his father's birthday and that he lost his father three years ago and he hadn't realised that the film was coming out that date but said that his dad was someone who he was really close to growing up but never quite understood his his love of the genre, comic books, geeky, nerdy sort of stuff. Supported him in doing it but had no idea exactly why James was into it. I imagine Sean was into it and their third boy, Matt, as well. And he revealed that he'd actually been asked to direct a Superman project years ago, but he says he denied the offer because he didn't feel like he had a unique take and he didn't emotionally feel connected to the character in a certain way that he thought justified someone and a character like Superman deserved. There's a lot more to go through and I encourage you to actually go onto Twitter and read his thread because it was a really nice story arc and a dive into why he loves these characters so much and why this is connecting to him finally and why he wanted to do it. But he added that just because he writes something, it doesn't necessarily mean that he wants to put in the time and the effort that it deserves over years of his life into directing the film that he's written. 
but finished off saying that he's actually really proud of the script that he has written. He loves it, and he's really excited to be able to be the man behind the camera taking that script off the paper and putting it on the screen. So that was a lot of fun, and it does finally put to bed who's going to direct it or will James direct it. Now we get to suffer through the pain that we'll be speculating who's going to play Superman and the entire casting process and the campaign that Cavill should still be around and anyone else that's going to replace him is not going to be as good. And Basically, it's still going to be a pretty toxic sort of time. Regardless of which side of the argument you're on, let's just all try and be nice and have fun with it. Also over the last week, Shazam! Fury of the Gods finally released in cinemas. Now, I haven't seen it yet, and apparently I'm not the only one. The movie, if we're looking purely at the US box office, which gets a lot of attention, it opened up to a little over $30 million across the weekend, which was a big step down from the 2019 box office of the original Shazam, which, let's be honest, really went out to a market that had no idea who the character was and it made in excess of $53 million in its opening weekend. Now you compare that to a lot of other superhero films, $53 million would be considered a bit of a flop when you compare it to a very well-known character but for Shazam, people had no idea who that was, what the movie was about, what it was going to be, how it reflected the DC world, the fact that it had a very different tone, it looked kiddie but it's also adultish, what this movie is you got to take that as a win, and it went on to be quite loved by critics and fans alike. This film, while getting some pretty okay reviews a couple of weeks ago, didn't turn it into some box office receipts, unfortunately, and you would think that in the three years, the hype for this movie would have grown a little bit. People loved the first one. The trailers, for me, didn't sell a great film. There just seemed to be a lot of the CGI dragon. I was in for all the other stuff. I was in for the Billy Batson and other family stuff. I was in for Zachary Levi as Shazam and the full Shazam family. I liked all that. Helen Mirren, Lucy Liu, give me all that. But the action just seemed to be very repetitive in the trailer and very not-quite-finished-looking CGI heavy. I'm absolutely going to go see this, but I just haven't yet. And maybe that urgency is shared on a large scale. Comparatively speaking to a lot of other superhero movies, this is a pretty modest budget. They're talking in around $110 million, but then also you're looking at that $100 million or so marketing campaign. So this movie's got a lot of money to make back before it breaks even or deems some kind of success. And it's a real shame because the director, David F. Sandberg, has been saying for weeks, don't read too much into what wasn't said during that DC slate. If you remembered from James Gunn's announcement, we played it on our last podcast, he just said that Shazam was otherwise unconnected to what has been the DC universe. He said nothing about the fact that this would be the end of the franchise. People just assumed that come the flash, it's going to hit a reset because that's what James Gunn said. But as we all know, money talks and the fact that Shazam has stayed pretty distant away from the rest of the quote-unquote DCEU might be its saving grace. But as David F. Sandberg said, that's only if people go and watch it. If this movie made $200 million in its opening weekend, you would bet your life that Warner Brothers would be trying to find a way to keep that in the ongoing DCU, especially if they're going to hit reset with new actors, new characters along the way. And we know that they're doing that in Chapter 1 with some very nerd-heavy, unknown-to-the-mainstream characters. They would kill to have an existing franchise that appeals to a family market like Shazam be part of that universe that people can latch onto and then attach him to other franchises to get more eyes on them as we go along. Sadly, that didn't happen this week. A $30 million opening in the US. Here in Australia, it made $2.32 million in its opening weekend, which is not great. 
especially when you compare it to what came in second, which was Scream 6, making $1.42 million in its second weekend, or Creed 3, which made $1.04 in its third weekend. I've seen Scream, I liked Scream, I saw Creed, I loved Creed. Both existing franchises with existing fan bases, but not known to be massive money makers at the same time, not compared to a giant blockbuster superhero film, and yet in their second and third respective weeks at the box office, at least here in Australia, they're making almost as much as the opening weekend of a superhero sequel it doesn't paint a great picture as we look ahead, especially with John Wick Chapter 4 coming out this weekend as well, which is going to eat up a ton of the box office. And for someone who's already seen John Wick Chapter 4, if they could make a million dollars for everybody that hits the floor in that film, they're going to be going on to be one of the highest grossing films of 2023. Now, I hesitate to call our third and final bit of news news because it's a bit of a mystery about what it is about. Zack Snyder, you might have heard of him. He directed a few DCEU films. He has been teasing something online for the last couple of days. It all started with this announcement featuring Darkseid. April 28th, 29th and 30th. Save the date. Not a lot of visuals to go on as well on the accompanying video. And this is where I would love to be a fly on the wall within the new business of the DC Studios because here are these guys trying to craft the future of the DC universe. What's going to happen for the next 10 years? How we're moving on from the last 10 years? And then the guy that directed three of the most divisive superhero movies of all time comes out with a drop that insinuates he's got something more to offer in the future. Now, of course, hopefully they're more aware of it, but in the case that they're not, are they just there pulling their hair out like, dude, let us do our job. You've had your turn. But as Zack Snyder went on to further tease it across the week on his various socials, there were pictures of Henry Cavill as Superman and other actors playing other heroes in the existing franchise that Zack Snyder directed. My thought was that it was going to be what it looks like it is. Only just an hour ago, as I record this podcast, Zack Snyder put up a picture that looked like a bit of a pencil drawing of Superman, Aquaman and Cyborg that looks part of a larger piece. And he says, this is in progress. At Jim Lee is a genius. Exclusive for Full Circle. That's in capital letters. That's the name of it. Exclusive for Full Circle weekend screenings to benefit mental health awareness and suicide prevention. Hashtag Full Circle. Hashtag Snyderverse. Hashtag ASFP. Hashtag ACCD. Now, if you look at my bit of paper that I came in with my notes on it, my prediction over the last week was that no, not like some online theories are going, that Zack Snyder is going to come out and reveal, yes, the Snyderverse is going to Netflix, as some people would have petitioned online. Yes, I'm coming back to direct. Yes, they're doing some Elseworlds film that are separate to the DCU, but we're going to finish off the Zack Snyder Justice League trilogy with two more... Nothing like that. He's earmarked April 28th, 29th and 30th. My thought, based on the image that he posted of Henry Cavill as Superman to his Vero account and the text that came with it, which did read M-O-S-B-V-S-Z-S-J-L or Z-S-J-L, depending on where in the world you are. Referring, of course, to Men of Steel, Batman vs Superman and Zack Snyder's Justice League, he put the quote, Life is a cycle from birth to death to rebirth and so the hero's journey is a cycle as well. A continuous journey of growth and and transformation, April 28, 29, and 30. My prediction based on that was that it was going to simply, and I don't mean that in a negative way, it would simply be a weekend of screenings. 
while it would be great to see all three of those movies in their extended cuts back to back to back, that Friday the 28th would be Man of Steel screenings, Saturday the 29th, Batman vs. Superman screenings, hopefully the Ultimate Edition, and Sunday would be Zack Snyder's Justice League cut. Now, he hasn't so much said that that's what it is, but he did refer to them onto his Twitter account as Full Circle Weekend Screenings. So, hey, if you're into that thing and they're doing that in a cinema near you, and I speak from Australia where I very highly doubt they're going to do that at all, but if you're in the States and that's going to happen, best of luck to you, to all my fellow Snyderverse fans. Go enjoy those movies on the big screen one more time. And to everybody else that's not into the Snyder films, this is not about you. Just look away for the next six weeks. Now, no doubt there will be more DC news over the next week and we will cover that on our next podcast. Right now, though, as we do at the end of each and every podcast, we will go back to my journey through the rest of the DC TV worlds. And on this particular week, there were only two episodes, The Flash Season 7, Episode 6, and Supergirl Season 6, Episode 2. We kick it off with The Flash, the one with the 90s. Now, I'm just joking. Play, play the normal one. Now, a dinosaur in the opening minute. What in the legends of tomorrow? But you know what? And this might be the beer talking, Marge, but this might be the best Flash episode in a long time. Now, for, okay, from the outset, yeah, we get a CGI dinosaur, but I actually didn't think it looked that bad when you know how some of the CGI in these shows have gone in the past. Now, it did come back later in the episode, yes, and it didn't look as good while it was walking, but that's okay. At least the opening didn't have as cringing from the start that they were going to be too ambitious for their reach, as they have many times before. Now, what's a concern about this being the best episode in a while is that it actually wasn't a Flash episode. For the most part, Barry is in like a little healing chamber because I never would have asked for just a Cisco and Chester episode. I love me some Cisco. Chester's growing on me, but those two owning the A-plot of an episode by themselves... Wouldn't have expected it. I don't think I would have wanted it. But overall, I actually think the tone matched the storyline and performances in a way that we don't get as successfully very often. And the performances, as I mentioned, they made the script that they were given. These guys were having a lot of fun with what was going on and just the the, the ludicrousness of the back to the 90s storyline, but also not completely overplayed. Like, yeah, they were wearing ridiculous outfits and they were walking past weird and in-your-face references, but it wasn't like every second was littered with, hey, we're in the 90s. Okay, there was a little bit of that, but we move on. Speaking of the script, though, we we did have a return to the line that I hated from a few weeks back. I may be his lightning rod, but you are his lightning. Thank you. (laughs) You know, on that, I actually really don't know how I feel about the speed force taking on the human form of Barry's mother, especially when it acts like her a lot of the time and talks about Barry as if she's some proud mother. I get that there is a link between a speedster and the speed force. That kind of has to be right. But it's very it's very intimate. Barry himself is clearly barely okay with it. Not that Iris can read the room. She's inviting the personified speed force to sleep over at their house. Nora, we have clean sheets in our guest room and plenty of blankets. Sounds cozy. <laughs> yeah, it is. You should stay with us tonight, right, Barry? Um, 
sure. Of course. And I get that we're limited to the 42-minute runtime, but it means that the show has to rush scenes. And and the result is Chester meeting his dad or reuniting with his dad, but his dad had no idea, and his dad opening up to him on a, on a really personal level. And all of that happened from the moment Chester walked into his dad's shop to his dad pouring his heart out to this stranger in less than two minutes. Now, Chester talking to his dad knowing he'll die the next day and getting all this unresolved feelings off his chest while his dad speaks like he lives every day like it might be his last actually worked for me. It worked for the episode and and for the best part, it gave Chester something to do other than just sit at a desk and react to things that are happening on a screen that doesn't really operate as it does in the show in front of the actor performing it. But did the scene feel earned? Maybe not in a couple of minutes, but we're going to give it a pass mark because Chester finally got to do something. But now we have three super entities out there with this sort of time god at the moment. So the show's really building up these big bads that they as yet have absolutely no idea what they're dealing with and how they're going to beat them. So we'll see what that becomes next week. And there's three at the moment. Three's going to become four, right? Anyway, Supergirl, episode two of season six, A Few Good Women. As a show, Supergirl has never been one for subtlety, especially in its female empowerment message and especially in recent seasons. Now, before you judge these words coming from a man, trust me, trust me, I get it. These are words very strongly shared by a lot of female fans. You only have to go online to read them. And let me say, you're welcome for former DC TV host Terry not being on the show anymore to talk about Supergirl because... I just don't have the time to edit out the things that she would be saying. Things got real spicy last time she was on. So the title is A Few Good Women, which for what you would expect to be the A-plot, described Dreamer's training to save Kara from the Phantom Zone, Kara herself finding her father alive within it, and her sister Alex, along with Morgan and the rest of the team, trying to find a way to rescue Kara. But then there's also what you would expect to be the B-plot that actually becomes... Again, what you would expect as the episode goes on to be the most interesting of the two, with Lex Luthor on trial, representing himself against a female prosecutor in front of a female judge and hearing testimonies from two women. So the title basically becomes a play on the 90s classic film A Few Good Men, obviously. But sadly, while that movie is one of the great courtroom dramas, this trial of Lex Luthor won't even go down as the best courtroom scene this week. And it was the only one. We're talking about a guy who has had a long history with Superman, faced the law for past crimes, is an egomaniac, and put hundreds of millions of people around the world under the control of a worldwide mind takeover. But the prosecutor leads her case like this. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, for perhaps the first time in history, crimes against humanity carries literal weight. Lex Luthor stands accused of attempting to brainwash half of humanity into loving him. Look, I'll let go of the fact that the setting for the trial made it look like a a simple domestic dispute between two mates, right? There was nothing monumental about the way that the set was designed, the way that it was shot. It didn't feel epic. And, yeah, you could say, well, there was only minimal people there because of a safety issue, and they did add on that earlier in the episode that the jury was kept 
secret and locked away because of their privacy. But at the same time, they were on screen in front of Lex Luthor and you got to know that if he's not trying to bribe them, he's going to be killing them after if they're going to convict him. But then rather than deal with Lex Luthor for the the giant character and nemesis that he has been to these characters now that he's involved with Supergirl, and we've got to we've got to believe that there is some established history between he and Superman by this point, and that yes, people would believe that he's probably right. We're reading the room, we're connecting dots. This guy who's always there and Superman saving people, this guy's around when something goes wrong. But then Luther's defense comes down to the fact that he just said that Miss Tessmarker was a scorned lover and that I oh, actually she did the mind wiping and that he was just there when it happened. And hey, if you're a rich guy like me, you'd understand why people were trying to take you down. And the jury just kind of looked around like, eh, he makes a point. What? And Tessmarker seems to be their only witness until Lena decides to come in, hoping to upset Lex enough for him to expose himself, which he did but then managed to turn that into a positive and just say, hey, look, I'm a nice guy trying to do nice things. And you know what? If you were in my position, you'd probably do that evil stuff as well. And, oh, I'm not saying I did it, but if I did do it, well, then it would make sense. And the jury again believed him and he gets off. Fucking what? A main gripe that I've had with these shows is that they can never just let a story end. You never see an episode wrap up and then the credits roll and that's it until next week. They always have to put in that end tag scene to remind you that something else is going to exist in this world in the future. It's like, yeah, we get it. It's episode seven. But Supergirl managed to rush the trial of Lex Luthor. He was barely in jail at the beginning of the episode and come the end, he is out in a free man making press conferences, seemingly free to resume his normal everyday activities that he was one episode ago. Now, that seemed to upset a few people, but it actually wasn't the biggest gripe that a lot of fans had with this episode. I had read something about it when it first aired, but now that I finally watched it, I understood what they were talking about because toward the end of the episode, Kelly, Alex's girlfriend, comes up and talks to her about the fact that she's wanting to save Supergirl and how they're going to do it and don't worry about the first failure. They will succeed at some point. And as a fan, you're kind of like, when did you find out about this? Because... Last episode, it was very clear. Kelly had no idea who Alex's sister truly was. And at the beginning of the episode, they didn't have an outright conversation about it, but you also get the idea that, no, Kelly doesn't know that Kara is Supergirl. Come the end of the episode, Kelly's trying to comfort Alex about the fact that she couldn't rescue her sister, Supergirl, from the Phantom Zone. That seems like an important conversation for us, the fans, to have. This one key relationship. And Alex's relationship have been the relationships to focus on in this entire show. We had our problems on old school DC TV that Kara's relationships were never really that comfortable to watch. But Alex's ones you actually got invested in. Those are the more emotionally driven relationships. And we should be feeling more towards these because they were trying to make us buy into it a little bit more. And all of a sudden you have this long-term relationship with Kara and you skip over arguably the most pivotal conversation that they could have had at this point. Now, reading into it, having finally watched it, I find out that not only did they skip this scene in the final cut, but they used footage from it in the advertising for this episode. 
so hardcore fans of the show and hardcore stands for the Alex and Kelly relationship and even just the representation of their same-sex relationship within the show, this seemed like a really pivotal conversation for these two key characters to have and they cut it out. And you're sitting there, even if you don't know the trivia behind it, thinking this feels like something was missing. Did I blink? Did I fall asleep? And then the show just ends anyway. It was like they've run out of time to have an actual ending to this episode and you're left sort of feeling, well, nothing was really achieved. They tried to rescue Kara and they didn't and they're back at square one. Kara found her dad, sure, but I feel like that could have happened in another episode when they did successfully manage to make contact with the right realm of the Phantom Zone because no sooner had she found her dad, she's trying to leave. And then he tries to stop her, he does... She tries to leave again. He stops her. And we just sort of repeated her plot line for the entire episode while we were trying to get somewhere that they never got to in the B plot while the A plot of the trial of Lex Luthor was also happening but was completely underwhelming. It was a very, very weird episode. Next week, we are back to three episodes, so we'll be talking more DCTV in the next episode of It's All Part of the Plan. No doubt more news to come in the world of DC on the big and small screen. We'll be talking about it all right here on Get Into Geek with It's All Part of the Plan, episode 12. Get Into Geek.